Beautiful. You missed so much online. You have no idea. People were just raising their hands and just praising. Um, so what I want you guys to do is, uh, as, as we jump into chapter 6 for the Sermon on the Mount, is to give a little bit of context, because you've probably slept since last week. You don't remember what happened a few weeks ago. But in the midst of what's been going on is that Jesus is essentially... Um, transitioning from wanting to talk about things that you have heard now to things that you are, are seeing. And what he's shared in chapter 5 is that the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders had taken the standard and the law of God and said, here's the standard, here's the law of God. It's too lofty. It's too high. We can't obtain to that. And so we're going to lower that standard down to here. And that's going to be the average that we need to try to, to live up to. And so what Jesus is saying is, no, your average, it stinks. You need to live your life above that average that you have set for yourself. You need to go back to the priority and to the standard of God's word. And so what he does in chapter five, about halfway through until chapter six, is he shares, here are some things that you have heard, but I want to get back to the heart of the matter. This is what I say to you. And what he's saying kind of in a nutshell is that your average is too low. And so Christianity is to be above the average. Your faith needs to be above the average. And as he transitions into chapter 6, now we're going from your faith is to be above the average to now your faith is to be below the surface. That Christianity, our faith in Jesus, should be authentic. It should be deep. It should be genuine. It should be real. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks is the, the real, authentic Christian faith. And specifically, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three specific spiritual disciplines that are familiar probably to all of us. And perhaps two of the three we tend to practice, maybe just one of the three. One we kind of definitely leave out. But what we're going to be looking at is that if we want to talk about real faith, Jesus says real faith has to do with real giving, which we're going to look at today real praying, which we're going to look at next week, and then the final time is going to be real fasting. And we're going to be looking at these three spiritual disciplines that would have been very common and understood by those who are on the mountainside listening to Jesus preach this sermon. They would have understood what it entailed, what it meant to be a giver, what it meant to be a prayer, what it meant to be uh, uh, someone who would fast. But Jesus, again, is drilling down to the heart of the issue of let's get to your motive and let's make sure that your faith is authentic, that you're not just merely religious. Because we don't want to have just uh, real religion. We want to have real faith. We, we want our faith to be genuine. We want it to be transparent. So if you have your Bible, follow along with me in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to begin here in verse 1. He says, "'Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. For, for some of you, this, this uh, statement is going to be familiar to you because it was a statement from uh, a couple of weeks back, our first session for our, our small group Bible studies. There was this question that was asked within our group, and I imagine in the other one as well, of what's the most lavish gift that you have ever received? 
And when Doug was leading our group in this time, we had a few pop up and share a few things, and they were far more sentimental and interesting than what I had to share. Uh, but but I, I, had, I had my answer, and now that I have a captive audience, you get to hear what my answer is. The most lavish gift that I ever received was Tiffany and I got married in 2005 of December, December 17th. So technically, we celebrated our first Christmas as a married couple just a few, like, like a week and a day later. But uh, with everything, just the whirlwind of the wedding and planning a long-distance wedding, it was just a thing. So when we were leading up to Christmas of 2006, it, it felt like in a way, yeah, technically we observed our first Christmas, but this was like building up to our first Christmas as a, as a married couple. And we were your stereotypical uh, uh, poor <laughs> newlyweds in, in graduate school at seminary. Like, we, we, we didn't have a lot. We weren't living the luxurious life. And so Tiffany would ask me, what do you want for Christmas? And I, I would always throw it out there because around this time, there was this new game system that came out. And some of you are going to go, game system? That's what we're talking about? Yes, that's what we're talking about. There's a point. And so this new game system, this Xbox came out, and I was like, I would like to have an Xbox 360. That sounds great to me. And she was like, she was like okay, I'll see what I can do. But I knew that you know, we both look at the finances, we both do the budgeting and that kind of thing. And I was like, there's just no way. So as the time went on, as the months built up, I was like, can't wait to get that Xbox, can't wait to get that Xbox, and knew that it's just not a possibility. It's too extreme, it's too luxurious for, for us and for our lifestyle. And so that Christmas 2006, Tiffany just graduated from seminary, and her family was in town, and so we're celebrating Christmas in our tiny little little apartment there in Fort Worth, Texas, and um, we're beginning to open up gifts. And I, and I peel back the, the paper on this one gift, and, and you know where it's going. And I see a cardboard box, and I open it up, and inside is the white Xbox 360. And I was just like, I'm not the most demonstrative person. You probably know that by now. And so, <laughs> believe it or not, I wasn't very demonstrative at that moment either. I was just speechless. I just literally looked up I looked at everyone around, and I was just in shock because I knew this isn't something that we can afford, nor should we be spending money on. I, was just, I just couldn't believe it, and I started opening it up, and I just couldn't believe it. And they're all just watching me in shock. And what I found out was that Tiffany was able to find someone who was a friend of her brother's who was going to sell his, his, his for cheaper, and so she was able to get it. Her brother was able to pick it up, and, and I was just overwhelmed by the lavishness of this gift. And so uh, they say that it's better to give than to receive. In that moment, I was like, I don't know. I really enjoy receiving this gift. Like, this is a lot of fun. But for Tiffany, to this day, she's like, I've never been able to outdo myself since really our first Christmas as a married couple. And I, I'm always living up to, like, trying to live up to that kind of hype. And to, to be frank, it is because it was so unexpected. And it was something that we knew that we couldn't afford. It was something that was very lavish. But what I found, that as I look back on it now, because that Xbox, some of you know what this means, it got the red ring of death, it's gone, it's dead. But we have that memory of, I just know how excited Tiffany was and the joy that she had to give that to me, and it was for no other motive than she just wanted to bring about joy in, into, into my life. There was no ulterior motive in the giving of that gift. She wasn't giving me this gift to be like, do you love me now? Do you love me more? And maybe a little, but do you love me now? Do you love me more? And she, that's not her motive. It was just, I love you and I want to, 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 to give you this gift. And when we give at times, what Jesus is getting to the heart of is, is we got to beware and we got to be careful. And so if you're taking notes, the, the first thing is this, your, your real faith 
Your faith that is real, real faith is below the surface. And so we might begin to ask the question, well, what is, what is real? How, how do we define that? How do we know what that is, what that looks like? And sometimes it's easy to spot. You see a 50-year-old trying to dress or act like a teenager, you're like, something's off. That's not real. That's not authentic. Or if, if perhaps you, you look at a, a painting and a photograph, there are some who will, you know, if, if you get me to paint something, you're going to go, that is definitely not real. That's not a photograph. Whereas if you get someone who can actually paint well, you almost can't even tell the difference between the two because they're so good at what they do. Sometimes it's hard to tell and distinguish that which is fake and that which is, which is real. And what we have is we have the world that is around us and the world system that we live in, along with Satan, that they, they do. They like to deceive us. They like to make us think that this is the real thing. This is the real deal. This is the real authentic thing that you need to invest your life in. But more than anything else, I think what Jesus is wanting to say is, yes, the world can do that. They can deceive us. And Satan can do that. He can deceive us. But oftentimes, we ourselves are at the root of our own deception of what we think is real or what we think is worthwhile, what we want to invest in, what we want to give ourselves to that we think is going to be, you know, a wise investment. And so what, what I want us to focus on today is is that we wouldn't get distracted by what, what is inauthentic, but that we want to invest in that which is eternal, that which is everlasting, and that when we do so, that we have the, 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 right, the right motive. Some of you maybe have even been watching a TV show. Again, I'll pick on my wife. Sometimes when we watch a TV show, she gets so immersed into it that we have to actually kind of be careful because, like, she can't do spooky stuff. I know we're in that kind of time of season, but it, it becomes so real to her that you kind of have to step back and go, sugar, that, that's not real. That, that's a show. That, that, those are actors. He can't really fly. Uh, she can't really perform surgery. They're, they're actors. They're putting on a facade or a veneer of what they're doing. But sometimes it's so real that it's hard to be able to tell the difference. And what you might really call that is someone who is a, is a hypocrite. In fact, what Jesus does in this point of the spiritual discipline of giving, and he does the same thing with prayer and the same thing with fasting, is he uses a, uh, the same word uh, several different times with each of these. He talks about the issue of hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Now, some of you know this, but some of you may not. In that day and time, when Jesus is referring to a hypocrite, he was referring to someone who was on stage who would wear a mask. And so what they were doing is they were going out on stage and theater and a performance, and they would literally put a mask on so that way you couldn't see the person who was the real person. They wanted you to see what they were portraying to you. And Jesus is saying, some of you guys are like these actors. And what I want to do is I want to unmask you. And I want to unmask the issue of your heart of why are you giving? What, what, what is it that, that you're doing? Are, are, are you actually concerned for the situation and for the person? Because he says in verse 1, he says, beware like, take heed. This is, this is a warning statement. Because whenever you or I do something that can be good or charitable or beneficial to someone else, that is a good thing, but there can be a danger to it. Because oftentimes we, we're thrust into a moment of where maybe uh, uh, the public sees us or specifically that person is aware of it. And maybe deep down it's I do feel good. With, there's nothing wrong with feeling good about maybe helping someone or giving to someone. But, but again, what is that ultimate motive? Is it to be seen? He says in verse 1, are you practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed or to be seen by them? Because if that's it, 
then you're getting your reward here and now, but, but you're not going to receive your reward, reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, again, nothing wrong with enjoying giving a gift and being charitable, but if it's all about attention or validation or now do you love me, now do you value me, now do you see me? I mentioned last week, there's nothing wrong. We long to be seen. We long to be loved. We want to be noticed and be known as, as valuable to others around us. But sometimes what we want to do is we want to leverage a gift in order to kind of pull someone's arm into now love me, now see me. And Jesus says, beware, your motive is off. That's not the direction that we're going. That's not what it's to be about. So real faith is below the surface. Number two, real faith is real giving. Real faith is real giving. Did you notice two different times in verse two and three? It says, when you give to the poor, verse two. But when you give to the poor, verse 3, it's assumed and it's understood, not if you will give, but when you give. Giving should be a discipline within the life of someone who is a Christ follower, of someone who is a Christian. In fact, to Jesus and to those on the mountainside listening to Jesus, they, they understood that a righteous person would give. To give alms, to be charitable, was to be righteous. They were one and the same. That, that a righteous person isn't stingy. A righteous person isn't just hoarding their stuff. They're generous with what they have. They give to those who are in need. So that's the first thing that I would want you to notice, that if real uh, giving or real faith is real giving, is that do you give? Because again, it's assumed by Jesus that, well, of course you do because you long to live righteously, and this is a righteous act. This is a righteous action. We don't do it out of legalism, but, but we do it because this is just what is right and what would be a standard of, of the Lord. But he transitions from there of the assumption of that you're going to give to, well, how do you give? How you give? Two different times, again, he says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet. And verse 3, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He gives two kind of explanations of, of how to give. Again, he's talking about motive here. In verse 2, when he's talking about the, the blowing of a trumpet, there are some, uh, some of you know who J. Vernon McGee is, and there's some other scholars out there who think that at that day and time, there might have actually been someone who would go out in the street corner, blow a trumpet, and it was a, a signal to those who were poor to come to that area, and this was a time to dispense the giving of, of alms or to be charitable. That's when they would receive that. There are others who think, we don't know if that's true or not. We think this is just Jesus using dramatic language. Regardless of whether it actually happened or whether this is just Jesus using, again, dramatic language to make a point, the point is made is, why are you giving? What, are you, what, what is the motive and what, what's the intention of your heart? And it seems like it could be seen or to be noticed or to be honored. I remember years ago, uh, the, the, when I first went to the, the first church that I pastored in Oklahoma, wonderful people, loved the church, wonderful experience that we had there for those eight plus years. But I can remember my very first Sunday that I came to, to, to fill in and to, to just to preach. Um, I showed up and they had about 15 minutes of announcements. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed, and this is at least an Oklahoma thing, I don't know if this has ever happened in Tennessee, is on the Lord's Supper table, it's a very kind of traditional Southern Baptist kind of auditorium. On the Lord's Supper table, there was this little house. And this little house, it was a children's home thing. And people would put 
money into it, which was great. They were helping out those children that were in need at these children's homes in, in Oklahoma. But what they would do is they would correlate it with uh, birthdays and anniversaries. And I can remember just being there, and I was like, what are we doing? People, like, people were marching down, and they were, they were placing money there within that little house, and they were basically taking about, about five minutes of, it's my birthday, it's my anniversary. Nothing wrong with knowing that it's someone's birthday and anniversary, but from my understanding and my perspective, biblically, that when we come together in the house of the Lord to worship, this is a time to try to do uh, where we would decrease and He would increase. And it's not that we don't want to honor those things. I mean, those are wonderful things to honor and to celebrate, but proper place, proper time. And what I found was we were spending about 20 minutes of not worshiping the Lord and focusing our attention on man. It was a little bit distracting. So two months later, when they called me to be their pastor, I took that away, and they didn't like that. And it was one of those things of where I was like, but there's a reason biblically behind what I'm doing is I don't want our focus to be this. And the biggest reason is there was a couple who was visiting that Sunday that I went to fill in to preach before I was the pastor. And I remember uh, coming back for my first Sunday. They were excited to have a new pastor there, and I was visiting with this young couple. And brand new just to really attending and being engaged with the church. And I said, how are you guys doing? I said, uh, you know, visiting with them. They said, yeah, last time we were here, that's the last time we've been here because it was actually my, my birthday. And some people found out and they were like, you need to go up there and, 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 and put some money in the thing. He's like, but it's, but, it's, but it's my birthday. Why am I giving money on my birthday? And so he was just, he was just kind of mortified and, and nervous and anxious of like, I don't want to be seen. I don't want to get in front of people. And I was like, if this is distracting from the Lord, if people are nervous or anxious, why are we doing this and why are we engaging in this? And so what we began to do is we actually took and had a guy who was really crafty. He built a little thing, put it out in the foyer. And then we had there in the envelopes in the back of the seats, we had specifically envelopes that were for people to give to the children's home because I didn't want us to neglect the giving to the children's home and to that ministry that the church was accustomed to. And over the course of the next several months and years into the rest of the ministry there, we gave significantly more to the children's home than we ever did before. But people were concerned well, we're not going to give to the kids if we take away birthdays and anniversaries and honor those people. And I was like, we can honor those people in Sunday school, small groups, maybe even after the service, maybe in the hallway. But for right now, what's happened is the attention was, this is, this is my day and this is my time. And I was like, no, 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 no. The attention when we come together to worship is to be on him and him alone and his generosity towards us. We want to worship him it's very easy, if we're, not, if we're not careful, it's very easy for us to, to make this thing of our life and Christianity about me, of how can you serve me, what can you do for me. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I want you to have instilled within your life the discipline of giving, because when you give of yourself to others who are in need, you begin to think of yourself less, and then you become even more engaged with the culture that's around you, and you begin to make an impact. That's one of the things that I've thoroughly enjoyed in the life of of being here with you guys is, is the generosity of this church, of your time, and of your resources, and of your abilities is, is bar none something that I've not ever experienced before. It's, it's absolutely remarkable of when we ask you guys to rise up and to be a part of something, you guys rise up and you're a part of it, and, and there's a joy that's attached to it. There, there's, there's excitement that's attached to it as well, and, and I can't thank you enough for that. And so, 
when he goes into verse, uh, verse 2 about not being noticed, he says that God is going to be the one who's going to, to, to notice you. There's the familiar story that some of you remember of the widow and the two mites. Jesus and his disciples are there in the temple, and people are, are bringing their offering to the Lord. And it says that Jesus is observing people who are giving. So he is watching. <laughs> he is seeing what they're doing, and he sees this widow give her two mites there, gave everything that she had. That was all that she had to her name. And these other men were coming up, kind of grandstanding, giving huge, generous gifts. And Jesus says, she's the one who's truly giving. She's the one who's truly giving above and beyond and giving sacrificially. And he begins to praise and to begin to honor her. I mean, even today, if we had someone who gave half of everything that they had, let alone all of it, we'd be like, whoa, just kind of blown away. But, but her intention wasn't to be seen, yet God always sees. Jesus sees us. He sees when we give, whether it is our resources, our time, or our abilities. Now, there's been a lot of talk in verse 3 of what does he mean by don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, this was kind of a proverb of the time, and what it doesn't mean is that when you give that you have to close your eyes and just kind of write out your check or whatever it may be. It's not what he's talking about here. We, we don't want to go to either extreme whenever we discuss this. But what he is saying is that this proverb of the time was that you would do something so spontaneously that you don't really think about it because you're that generous. It doesn't mean that you can't be calculated. It doesn't mean, or it doesn't mean that you can't be a good steward. But as one guy wrote, it was really this idea that your giving would be based more upon compassion than more about calculation. And so I know for some of you, you may see someone who's in need uh, in, on a street corner as you're driving around Middle Tennessee and you're wondering, should I give? And people have asked me this question often of, do I give to that person who I see is homeless and they have a sign up? And my response to that is, What's, what is the Lord leading you to do? I remember being in a class where we discussed this and there was just a hard and fast, no, I don't ever give in that situation. And I would say, okay, that may be your hard and fast rule, but what Jesus is getting to the heart of is, is there compassion and generosity within your heart? Or are you so calculated that you can't just spontaneously give in those moments? And I know we understand that we go, well, what are they going to do with it? How are they going to treat it? What are they going to do with this money? And I think there's a lot of wise ways in which we can help those who are in need. I know in years past, whenever we had uh, opportunity to, to help those who would come by the church, we, instead of just giving them cash, we would look at ways in which we could maybe go fill up their gas tank or go buy them some food at the grocery store. That way we were meeting the need, so that way we were being good stewards of what the Lord has given us. But in this moment, we have to be careful that we don't become so calculated that we begin to become a little bit cold and distant, that we begin to think, mm, I, I couldn't possibly because I don't know what they're going to do with it. We need to be generous because the Lord is generous. The Lord gives, the Lord gave. Giving is important to God, so giving is important to us. The most familiar passage that we know in all of Scripture, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I hadn't planned on going here, but it just popped into to my mind, so I am going to share it with you. But if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. It was something I was going to reference at the, at the very end, but it, I think it fits. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are two wonderful passages that deal with the issue of giving. And it's always interesting, as you guys are turning there, it's always interesting. I remember uh, yearly we would focus on a time of what it meant to give and stewardship and that kind of thing. And 
It was always one of those Sundays that people were like, can I avoid that Sunday? Can you tell me what Sunday you're going to be preaching on giving? Because I don't want to hear that. And what's interesting is Jesus is going to talk about giving in chapter 6, verse 1. And he's going to talk about it again a little bit later in chapter 6. Sometimes I wonder if we shouldn't talk about money more in the life of the church, because Jesus talked about it a lot, because it is such an idol in our life. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I just specifically want to look at verse 9. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth and saying, basically, man, I'm so excited you get to be a part of the giving to the church of Jerusalem. And let it be generous. Let it be sacrificial. Let it be cheerful. And this is why he's unashamed to say, this is why we give. Because look at verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was willing to dispense of himself all the riches of his glory in order that we might be able to come to know his grace and to be lavish because he was that generous and that kind to us. May that be our attitude in our heart, that we be willing to to have a little bit less in order to give a little bit more, that people might come to know the cause of Jesus and the name of Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus. So, Not only do we talk about real faith as real giving, when we give and how we give, but real giving is actually very much rewarding. It's very rewarding. Now, it may be the fact that you get a reward here on this earth. You may get the applause of men, the attention of men. That may be your reward that you get. But for those of us that we might say, well, I don't want to be seen, I don't want to be noticed, but I do want to be generous, it's letting us know that our Father who sees in heaven, who sees in secret, He's going to reward us. That might be something that you get to experience here on this earth. There might be a a reward. It might be a heavenly reward that we get to experience as well. But we want to be mindful that that He is watching and that He does does see. In fact, I think one of the greatest rewards that you get to experience is like what Tiffany experienced of just the joy of being able to give, of that it is actually better to give than to receive. But again, take heed of your your motive. And and as I was going through this passage, uh, I began to realize as I was visiting with someone uh, over the phone just about the passage in, in general, that the issue always comes up whenever, whenever we talk about money or whenever we talk about giving of, well, what does that look like for us on a, on a day-to-day basis? Well, w- what I would say for you is that this isn't specifically talking about systematic giving. It's talking about charitable giving, spontaneous giving. You see a need, you meet that need. But there's plenty of other scripture that talks about money and talks about the issues of giving and tithes and offerings that we don't have the time to to necessarily dive into deeply, but we can see within the broader scope of the New Testament scripture that we we do. We give to the house and to the work of the Lord. You see it in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 9. We see it in Hebrews 13, 1 Timothy 5. We just saw it in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Even 1 Corinthians 6 talks about giving systematically. And so people ask the question, There's not much in the New Testament about tithing. So should I tithe in this day and age? Is this something that we actually do? Is it a discipline that we have? And there's a variety of people who have different perspectives and answers on this. But what I go to is in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking and giving a bunch of woes to the Pharisees. And he's basically saying, Pharisees, you have the discipline of of tithing, but where's also your discipline of compassion and mercy? (laughs) As good as you do these, also do these other ones. So, so yes, continue this practice, but, but don't neglect the, com, the, the practice and the discipline of, of kindness, of mercy, of, 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 of compassion towards others. So in no way is Jesus taking away the tithe. And some people will say, well, 
When I read through Scripture, the New Testament, again, I don't see a lot on tithing. And specifically, what I would say is you can go back to the Old Testament, and before, before the law was ever instituted, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. And you begin to see this principle being enacted even before the law was ever established with the nation of Israel for this practice to be in place. The tithe was already there. Some commentators call that uh, an, an, an eternal truth, like it's just something that was before the law, so it continues. And so what I've always encouraged individuals whenever we talk about this issue and we have opportunity to discuss it biblically because it's the next thing in our scripture, is people go, well, should I tithe? And I would always say, I believe, yes, I believe the tithe is appropriate. I do believe that it is a biblical thing that, that, that we do. We give a tenth. And some people say, well, I don't know if I can give a tenth. And this is what I shared with people before who genuinely, that I want to be obedient to the Lord. I want to be faithful to the Lord. So what does this look like? And I would tell them, yes, I think a tithe is appropriate, but if you've never given in your life, give. Give. Be generous with what you have. There's a whole bunch of principles that you can read throughout Scripture, whether it's the tithe or whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Old Testament, King David says, if it doesn't cost me to give to the Lord, it's not really worth it. Our giving is to be costly. It is to be sacrificial. You go on into the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about that we should be a cheerful giver. Literally, it's the word hilarious. We should be hilariously giving because we're so excited to give. We're, we're, it's a joy for us to give. Uh, we should be systematic with it because in 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul talks about coming on the Lord's day to give your gift on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, that there, there are these principles in place of how we give and, and what that would look like. In fact, just, just so that you, you are aware, and this isn't to be noticed or to be seen, but it's to try to just kind of give an illustration. Tiffany and I, every, every year, what we'll do is uh, in the month of January, it's the beginning of the year, is, is we'll, we'll go out, we'll get a cup of coffee, and we will talk about what our giving is going to look like the upcoming year, if there are no crazy things that, that kind of go on uh, and lose a job and that kind of stuff. Uh, but what, what does that look like for us? But we'll talk about a whole bunch of other things. We'll talk about goals and dreams and plans for this year. And what did last year look like? And how can we improve? How could I be better to you as a husband? She would say, how can I be better to you as a wife? Like we have that discussion every January of just kind of, uh, it's almost kind of like a state of the union for the Reed household of where are things at. And we'll talk about this. And, and for us, we have the conviction and belief that yes, a tenth is, the, is, is, is where it's going to begin. That's going to be our tithe. But this year, as opposed to 10, is it, is it 11%? Is it 12%? Is it 15%? What does that look like for us in order for it to be sacrificial? And so what I would say is some of you are saying, I just don't know if I can do a 10th. Is 3% sacrificial? Is 5% sacrificial? But what I don't want it to be is legalistic. What I don't want it to be is, well, I'm supposed to give, so I'm going to give. Here's $5. Enjoy it. Take that $5, go get a cup of coffee, calm down. <laughs> because we want you to give cheerfully and joyfully to the Lord's work because it's about the kingdom. And sometimes we get nervous about, well, if I give this to this institution, what do I know that they're doing with it? Which isn't a bad question to ask. That's why I'm always, one of the things that drew me into Mission Point was visiting with the elders and they told me 15% just off the top of the board of what comes into here goes out. 
5% to the cooperative program, 5% to the CBA, 5% to our own mission efforts. And I was like, I love a church that gives and tithes as opposed to just asking a church members to give and to tithe. That we would practice what we would preach within Scripture. And so, at no point is any of this in order to twist an arm or to, to guilt you. Now, I would say we've already taken up the offering, but we don't take up the offering anymore. So there's plates in the front and the back and that kind of thing. And I will mention at the end a chance for you to give generously, not specifically to the church, because maybe you did that before you came in, but when it comes to our partnership with the Christmas and the DR, that this would be something that you would go, yeah, I'll give to that. Spontaneous moment of giving charitably. It's not your tithe. It's an offering. It's just above and beyond. But sometimes we become so uncomfortable when it comes to money in the life of the church that we want to stick our head in the sand and we want to ignore it. And we don't want to know what does Scripture actually have to say about it. But time and time again, he, he talks about it. Um, the, the last thing I want to mention to you is this. If we're not careful, we can go to extremes. The extreme to be seen, or we can go to the extreme of, I don't want to give because I'm fearing the, the lack of control or the lack of finances or, you know what, God doesn't really need it. He's God. So why am, I, why am I giving this? Or if I gave to someone and they're ungrateful for my gift that I gave to them, then that's going to be difficult for me. And I heard one scholar say, he said, if you give and someone's ingratitude bothers you, then you probably gave for the wrong reason. <laughs> And that's hard because I've given to people that have been ungrateful and I lost all kinds of rewards in that moment because I was like, this is what you should have done with it. And, 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 and when we give, we're simply to be generous with the right attitude and with the right motives. You go, okay, okay. So you want my money. You, you want money to come to the church. You want money to come to the kingdom. But, but what I've found when we look at these disciplines, God doesn't need your money God's kingdom will use your money for His glory and for His good to accomplish His purposes, yes. But when it comes to the issue of giving and prayer and fasting, all three of these spiritual disciplines, <laughs> the, they don't really do anything for God. They do something for you. They, they, they are disciplines to help sharpen you more into the image of Christ because it's intended to keep the things of this world from taking a hold of you and getting a, getting a, getting a, a snare within you. I mean, think about it with prayer. Sometimes we pray and we're like, why am I praying? God already knows. Yes, He does know. But you need to go to the one who knows everything in order that you can get your perspective right so that you no longer are looking at the temporal, but you're looking at an eternal perspective. And that he begins to change you. He begins to move you. He begins to, to shift your thoughts. Prayer is so much beneficial for us because it's us getting attuned with God. Same thing with, with fasting. The whole point of fasting was to say, man, I'm not going to live by bread alone. I'm going to live by the word of God and by his grace and by his mercy. So I'm going to enact this discipline of fasting on a regular systematic basis. So that way I don't let this thing of even food, which I have to have, control me. I will not be controlled by anything within this world. I want to be controlled by God. Same thing with money. This is why God urges us to be generous, one, to help those who are in need because people are creating the image of God. God loves people. He wants us to help people. But also it helps us so that way money doesn't take a, a hold of us, that we become stingy and that we become essentially hoarders. And we're just like, no, 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 this is mine and I got to be careful because of a rainy day. Now, is there anything anti about savings? No. 
There's enough scripture where, yes, you can save, and that's not a bad thing. But there's a difference between saving and a difference between hoarding. Because what Christ, what Jesus is hitting at over and over again within the Sermon on the Mount, what he started it off with is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of God. And with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is about generosity. God gives, we give. The kingdom of God is about his glory. His glory, not ours. And so when we give, we, we do so with, 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 with passion, with joy, and with tenacity because we want to represent his kingdom well. I shared that passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 of the lavish gift of Christ. And I shared with you earlier just that lavish gift, at least for me, that I received from Tiffany in our first Christmas, 2006, technically our second Christmas. When we give of our resources and our time and our abilities, we don't know what that hopefully lavish type of gift or giving might impact upon someone within your life. It, it makes a huge difference, not just for their life and for hopefully their relationship with the Lord, but it makes a big difference for us. God gave us these disciplines in order to help us. So unashamedly, I urge you to be someone who is generous with all three of those aspects. That's why it's one of our values as a church because we don't want any of those things to become more important than they need to be. But we want to use those things in order for them to be important for others to impact their soul. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I thought about just a variety of things that we could respond to from this passage. And you might think, well, he wants me to respond by uh, giving a tithe today. And that, that, that's actually not the case. I, I'd like you to respond today by asking just the question of the Lord of, what would you have me give? What does that look like in my life? And yeah, this passage specifically deals with giving financially, alms, charitable giving. But some of you, again, your most precious commodity in your life, like mine, is time. Would you be willing to sacrifice some of your very precious time to engage with those that are around you? That can be really difficult when you're strapped for time. For others of you, it might be your resources. It might be God just trying to get a hold of your heart and saying, Quit, quit holding on, quit being too calculated with what you have and be generous and be, bon be spontaneous with it and, and give when you see a need arise, give. And for others of you, it's your, it's your abilities. There's a whole wealth of things within the life of this church that we can use for the kingdom and that you can use your gifts and abilities in order to be a part of advancing that. So more than anything else, I'm asking you to step back and just go, God, what I have, I give to you. Because all that I have is from you. Maybe the last thing is just, as I was driving in today, 
as I was just reminded and overwhelmed with how generous our God is, how much he lavishes upon us that we don't even realize. And the reason why I feel like I can say that is because I've experienced the lavishness of his grace and his mercy. And maybe some of you are sitting there or you're watching online and you're saying, I don't really understand what that means to to be lavished upon by God. Maybe you have not yet come to know the Lord. What I would encourage you to do if you're online, email us. If you're in this room in just a moment, we're going to sing one final song. Come and visit with me and we'll set up an appointment to talk and to visit with one another about what it means to know the gift of grace that is found in Jesus. He poured himself out upon the cross that you might have life. What an incredible, generous, sacrificial gift. I pray that you would receive him today. More than anything else, I pray that you would receive Jesus today. If you want to know what that means, how's that possible? By all means, email us, come visit with me, and let's talk. So, Father, I do, I pray that every person in this room would know that salvation is available because you give, and you give abundantly to us. You gave us your Son. And so, Lord, I pray for any individual in this room, if they've never experienced and come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they would know that that's possible and that is available to them today. And Father, I pray that we as followers of Christ, that we would want to live as He lived, that we would live out in this discipline of, of giving because we, we don't want anything to get hold of us, but we want to be generous with what we have because, because that's who You are. And we want to look more and more like Your Son, Jesus. And I pray this in His name. Amen.